Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Welcome to this latest episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. And today's show is pre-recorded, and we are going to be speaking with Reverend Angela Pleasance. She's a pastor at First United Methodist Church in Mount Holly, North Carolina. She's a graduate of North Carolina A&T University and Duke Divinity School. And just recently, Bishop Goodpastor selected her to be the new district superintendent for the Catawba Valley District starting in July. So welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you. Glad to be yeah, here. Yeah, good to have you uh, here. And this is, we're pre-recording on a Tuesday afternoon, late in the day, and you've already had a full day. So um, we're just going to move right into some questions. Okay. So give us a little bit of background. Who is Angela Pleasance? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What schools did you go to? And um, what was it like uh, growing up for you? Well, I am originally from Greensboro, North Carolina. And now most of the time when when you say I'm from Greensboro and people think of the inner city, I want you to picture this. Once you get to the city of Greensboro, you have to drive another 45 minutes way out in the county. (laughs) And that's where I grew up. Uh, kind of on the outskirts, and now it's totally different, but at the time, uh, a lot of farmland. Uh, my nearest neighbor was a cow, uh, <laughs> tobacco fields, and but it was a, a close-knit community, and the center of our community was my local church where I grew up, okay. so Collins Grove United Methodist Church. All right. And, yeah, yeah, I loved, loved the community at the time. It was, as I said, it was close-knit Um the local school there that I went to, they called us the directional schools because we really didn't have names. We, I went to Western, so it was like Western, Northwest, Northeast, North, and those were the names for our schools. Okay. Yeah, so I used to be up in Rockingham County, so I, I ah. do know a little bit of that. Yes, we played Rockingham. Okay. We beat Rockingham on many occasions. Well, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Yeah. So Collins Grove, United Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Yes. What size church was that growing up? Grow well when I was younger. It seemed like a large church, but it is a small to mid-sized church. Um, but we always it was always full, and it was a diversity of age that was in the church. Mm. Uh, the thing that I loved about it was the the senior ladies. Uh, you you were kind of raised by the whole community. We would get on our bikes and just ride to any of our neighbors' homes, and, and we were cared for. We were looked out for. Uh, of course, when you got in trouble at a neighbor's home, uh, you got a spanking. By the time you got home, you got another one. And so we were looked out in, in, for in that way as well. But the the church itself was very community-oriented um, at the time, inward-focused. Unfortunately, now today I'm seeing the results of being inward focused, um, not learning to look outward. So it's kind of, it's declined a little bit more in its membership today. Okay. Well, tell us about your call story. How how did you come to ministry uh, growing up in this area and uh, and finding yourself as an ordained minister today? Yeah. Now, if you were to ask my sister, hmm. she would tell you, 
oh, she's always been different. <laughs> and and I sort of felt that way. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I noticed that, yeah, well, I was always different. And I, I think, knowing what I do now, I've always sensed there was a call, but I couldn't put words to it. Uh, I started teaching Sunday school at the age of 16. I taught the actually senior adult class when I was a teenager. Hmm. Um, yeah, I served in various ministries in the church. I was uh, on the pastor parish committee. I was, a, as I got older, a lay delegate to annual conference. I was a certified lay speaker. But I struggled with my call. And the reason why I struggled, because I grew up in a, a church and a home that um, did not promote women as ordained ministers. I uh, never mm. really saw for myself uh, a female in the pulpit until I got a little bit older. I remember we received our first female pastor, and, oh, my goodness, World War III broke out uh, in the church. Mm-hmm. And even my parents, they were very adamant about, well, you know, women, they're not supposed to do that. So I struggled with what I was feeling, and I thought I could live it out and continue to serve in various capacities in my local church. As a certified lay speaker, I was called to preach at different churches, but I felt that was okay because I'm not ordained. So went to college, majored in business marketing research, and after college I worked in the business department at Winston-Salem State, and, but I was still struggling. I, I said, okay, I'm going to law school. I started studying for my LSAT. I was taking classes at night at Greensboro College in criminal law, but mm-hmm. I was still did not feel complete in that. I kept finding myself going back to ministry, and it was the chief of security at Winston-Salem State who came in my office one day and said, I want you to meet a friend of mine. She used to be a police officer, and she's gonna she'll help you with what you're struggling with. And it happened to have been Arnetta Beverly. Uh-huh. So she was the first female pastor <laughs> that I met and was able to talk to. And she just took me under her wing. She nurtured me and and counseled with me. And so the rest is kind of like I just began that process. Uh, I stopped running, accepted what God was calling me to do. And I remember the first time that I went before the DCOM committee, and they questioned me about that. And I said, I looked at the table, and I saw some people had bottled water, some people had cups of water. And I said, what's the difference there? And they kind of looked at me like I had three heads. And I said, well, (laughs) the difference is the container. The water, Mm. the content on the inside is the same. So I said, that's how I evolved into that. You know, we, we... Male, female, clergy, and ordained ministry, we carry the Spirit of God in us. Our containers are different, but Spirit of God within, working in different ways, giving us different gifts and graces. Yeah. No doubt yeah, about that's it. My, yeah, that's my call story. That is a great story. Yeah, I used to serve with Arnetta uh, in the old Northeast District years and years ah. ago. And, and yeah. I, I remember her as... Uh, just being one always on the go. Uh, she yes. wore out many a car uh, going yes. from place to place. Um, well, one of the things that we do uh, when we do these call and vocation shows like today is uh, we ask if you can uh, describe your call story, describe describe your call in just one or two words. Mm. Now, a good friend of mine would say, spiritual renewal, and, and because that is a, a part of who I am. But if I were to describe my call of where I'm at now um, in two words, 
it's, this is going to sound funny, um, renegade evangelist. Hmm. And, <laughs> yeah, well, what I mean by that is um, the deep passion that I have of sharing the love of Christ for people. Uh, I recently took the Myers-Briggs uh, and I scored way off the chart as an extrovert uh, because I just love hmm. people. But I love taking the love of Christ to people. But I don't like to do it in a box. <laughs> um, so I'm always outside of the box with it, outside of the institutional standards, so to speak. So mm-hmm. uh, I think those two words I would use, renegade, evangelist. Okay. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing that play out uh, uh, when you're a district superintendent and the yeah. renegade evangelist superintendent. This will be fun. Ah, I get a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, we could uh, sell T-shirts and you know, pay for this show today. But, um, there you go. Um, interesting. You've already mentioned Arnetta Beverly as being someone mm-hmm. who influenced your call and and uh, who you are today. Um, who are some other folks that influenced your call in the beginning and then also uh, who are still influencing you uh, in your mm-hmm. ministry? Yeah, um, as you just said, uh, Arnetta uh, is, is one who became my spiritual mother. Um, some of the others... Uh, Pretty much, I enjoy reading about the great saints. Um, mm. Years ago, I actually taught a class on on how, learning to pray from the saints. But there's one in particular, and and her quote really was instrumental in uh, the the my direction in ministry, which is uh, Saint Catherine of Siena. Okay. And I have her her quote posted in my office. I used to have it on my emails, but it, she said, "If you are what you should be." You will set the world on fire. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's powerful. And that's powerful. She was in the Dominican order. Um, so her, her life and, and who she was it influenced me, and especially that quote. And um, so I would say her. And there are some, some others, like very close dear friends of mine. Uh, my prayer partner for 20 years, her name is Roberta. She's been instrumental uh, in my life of shaping the call and who I am today, just encourage me. But also my doubters, <laughs> people who mm. doubt me, people who, who oh, discount no. me. And and the reason why I say that, because, first of all, it's humbled me. Who am I to presume that everybody should like me or, or what have you? Uh, so it, it's humbled me. It keeps me on my knees. But it's also given me strength, Um Especially the ones that doubt me, because guess what? I'm going to work harder. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so they they have helped shape and form my call. No doubt about it. Um, if we got into ministry thinking everybody was going to like us, we would be sadly mistaken, wouldn't we? Exactly. Exactly. But um, like you, I think I've learned over the years that those who have given me the hardest time are the the ones that have really you know, shaped me into who I am. And um, mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you have really uh, hit the nail on the head there with uh, you know what it means to be shaped in ministry by people, and yeah. I like that. Well, let's yeah. move for a few minutes into uh, ministry in Mount Holly. Um, my story includes a stint just up the road from Mount Holly. Uh, it actually has an address, Mount Holly, but. Uh, it was the New Covenant Church, and I served that back in ah. the late 90s. And yeah, 99 to 2001, uh, 
mm-hmm. was the last appointment I had before I went to Japan and served for five years. But uh, mm-hmm. when I finished there, um, I had a transition time, and I actually attended First United Methodist Church in Mount Holly. Okay. And, uh, and so I know a little bit about that church and that community. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. um, so um, what has it been like being the pastor in that church, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that um, it was traditionally a predominantly white church? It was uh, traditionally a mill town church. Um, yeah. And all of those things have changed uh, over uh, the years, just since yeah. I was in that community. So what's it been like for you? And 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 I don't know if if you're aware of this that the the local little um, uh, well it used to be a service station is now just a little place where people get their cars fixed down the street was owned by the Grand Dragon of the KKK Virgil Griffith so oh, you know, yes. very, I did yeah, know that very story yeah yeah very interesting community there um, come a long ways still got a long ways to go but it has been. Wonderful. It, it has actually been a great marriage. Um, it, starting out, it, because not only being ethnic, but uh, they've never had a female pastor either. Look at that. Right. So the, the first female, the first black. Um, so, of course, when you first get there, people are searching you out, trying to figure out what's going to happen here. But within the first six months, it, it's been great. Not without its challenges, of course, but uh, I came in 2011 serving this, my fifth year now, and we have done a lot of great things together. Um, They have helped to grow me. Hopefully I've helped to grow them. Uh, But we've moved, one of the the main things that uh, we worked on was moving from membership to discipleship. And what I mean by Mm -hmm. that is, you know, not just having your name on a roll, not just being a number in a seat, but really getting into discipling, uh, learning to be, what does it mean to be a disciple? And and individuals who are uh, not just being in church but being in Christ. So I have seen so much spiritual growth. One of the greatest things, if you want to put a smile on my face, is, is, is to see a member come and say, Pastor, wow, I get it. I get it hmm. now. And, and to tell me about their spiritual growth. And there's been a lot of that. We've, uh, we have a community garden. Uh, that has 58 raised, raised beds, and we're still doing a lot of things there. It's now turned into an educational center. People come from various places just to look at the garden. We've done, hmm. uh, we've instituted the backpack ministry there. We've instituted the Breakfast of Champions mentor program uh, at the local elementary school. We started recovery ministries, Celebrate Recovery, Divorce Care. We started an early morning service called Impact Worship, went into partnership with Rhythm Church, which is a church that meets uh, in the park. And and the pastor, the non-denominational, the pastor uh, reaches out to the church, it consists of recovering drug addicts, uh, recovering prostitutes, and uh, mm-hmm. just everybody from different walks of life. So we have a partnership with them now. Um, Bible study, we started a community men's Bible study. It's led by a minister of music, which is just phenomenal. Uh, health and wellness program, a police chaplaincy for our local police departments. I mean, it's just been awesome, amazing. Yeah. It does sound like it. So you have been a busy woman for the past five years. Yes, and I loved every minute of it. That is wonderful. Well, we're going to take a break now and come back on a couple of these themes after we hear a word from our sponsors. Okay. My name is Sally Queen, and I'm the Associate Director of Ministerial Services. 
By virtue of our baptism, we are all called into ministry. This call is being faithfully lived out in the communities of Western North Carolina as people of all ages participate in building God's kingdom. Others are responding to God's call to license or ordain ministry by committing to faithfully lead our churches in vitality. All who are called are using their talents and gifts to follow Jesus, make disciples, and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build a church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes, and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation in Western North Carolina at the sponsor page on the show's website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're back with Angela Pleasance after the break. And I wanted to go back um, uh, to one of those first questions and one of the first statements you made, um, and it has to do with cross-racial appointments, being the first cross-racial pastor and the first woman. And I know that uh, that has been an amazing experience. Um, um, Everybody that I've ever talked to that served in a cross-racial appointment uh, has found all kinds of blessing and and all kinds Mm. of issues. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, Just go a little bit deeper. I know that it's been a great experience in Mount Holly, but uh, what are some of the things that you have discovered in in serving in those uh, fashions? Yes, so this is actually my fourth uh, cross-racial appointment, and yes, and and it's really, and and they've been in such diverse settings, Um, so it's been pretty amazing in in each setting. Um, I remember once going into one of the appointments, I won't say which one, but uh, a member came to me and said, now, you're black and female, and we don't have any blacks in our congregation, so why should you come? And I looked right in the person's eyes, and I said, you know what? I said, when God called me, he didn't say, go to whites only, go to blacks only. God just said, go to my people. You know what I mean? He doesn't look at what, what we look at. And, and and basically, in responding to that person, I said, you know, Jesus brought peace. He he, he united Jews and Gentiles, you know. And and sure. the other thing, he, he ended that, that system of barriers. He broke down the, the dividing wall. And now in our ignorance and our sin, we want to keep it there. But he destroyed that. And and the other thing that I challenge people to look at, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we've got to know what we're praying because if we're praying for what's taking place in God's kingdom and his heaven to happen here on earth, well, the last time I checked in Revelation, there was nations together worshiping around the throne. So... <laughs> Uh, if we're praying that prayer and it's actually happening, and I commend the, our denomination for uh, being intentional on, on this, then mm. um, if we don't like it, stop praying the prayer. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there's some beautiful things happening. But in that being said, I welcome people who come to me with statements like that. And here's why. Because it's easy to want to to push it down in us and not allow it to come up. And when we do, there's never dialogue that takes place that way. But mm. when, when somebody comes, and I welcome people to come. You know, if you're uncomfortable with this, come and let's talk it out because once it's able to rise to the surface, then we can deal with it in a healthy way. 
Um, but as long as we keep it down, we can't deal with it. I have seen amazing things happen in the midst of this, just taking that chance and making it happen, where one once at a church, a member who really struggled with this because he grew up in a racist home. Mm. Uh, it was about my second year at this particular uh, church. The individual came to me and, and embraced me and said, I'm glad you're here. And now, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know this at the time, but that's how he grew up. So I was the first ethnic that he ever had been around. Well, his wife came back later and explained what that was about. And she told mm. me how he grew up. And I said, wow, what what changed this for him? She said, it was when you stood every day by his mother's bedside until she passed away. Mm. What he saw was renegade evangelist, the love of Christ. Mm. And he realized the love of Christ does not have color. And so, you know, I, I share that because if it never happened that I went there, how could he ever come to that place of healing for him uh, to be able to say, I see the love of Christ now and not the color. So mm. so just so many wonderful things like that that have taken place. And, of course, other things have taken place where some people have left and didn't come back. <laughs> but right. um, but there, there, so much of that good outweigh the things like that. Yeah, that's a powerful story. And yeah. um, it's something for us to, to remember. It's, again, that container thing. Bottle mm-hmm. or or cup, uh, the love of Christ can be in both. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. So in recent weeks, uh, you got a call from the bishop, and oh, he wow. asked you to be a member of of his cabinet. Uh, tell us how that came about, and uh, what was your early uh, reaction to that call? Well, it. If you were to ask him, he would tell you she came to my office thinking she was in trouble. <laughs> I mean, out of the blue, I really did. I was not not expecting that at all. Um, only because in, in recent years, you know, I, I used to be very active in the conference, and, and I pulled out a lot of the committees and things that I served on and, and just kind of walked away from all of that, only to focus more um on the local church in the community, and I just really immersed myself in the community where I'm at now in the local church. So mm. just had no, none of that was on my radar. Um, and actually, I, I've been given uh, a challenge, and which I like, and the challenge was I had to, to beat the longest-serving pastor here, which is Preacher Mitch, who's still in this church. He's a member here now. He okay. served here yeah, 12 Mitch years. Yeah, Mitch was a pastor so. when I was here, so... Okay, yeah. Oh, he's awesome. And uh, so I had to, to beat his goal. So I was pushing for 14 years here. <laughs> and yeah, and so I, I did get the call and, and went in and um, the bishop asked me, he said, What's, what are the goals for your ministry? And, and I said, oh, okay, I can answer that question. I got excited. And I recently had, because working with the local police department, so I have been getting certifications in crisis stress incident management. And I explained to the bishop, I said, you know, I'm a crisis magnet. People in crisis always find me. So uh, so I've been working on my, yeah, setting me up right. So I've been working on my certifications in that area of uh, crisis stress incident management. And he got this big smile and he said, oh, just what I called you for. And and he kind of shared with me um, 
what he had in mind, which is the district superintendency, gave me some time to, to pray about it, and um, I notified him that evening and uh, said yes. Uh, but even after that, um, I went back some weeks later, like, did I make the right decision? Uh, mm. It was it was really difficult because I love this community so much, love the people so much. So it was really difficult. But I think now I'm finally settling into it and kind of excited about it, have some ideas already in my mind. So uh, I think I'm finally getting used to it. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that I do every year is I talk to all the new DSs. I just happened to get you earlier uh, before Mm -hmm. you took the job. But we'll have to talk to you after you get the job. (laughs) Um, But it's always fascinating to hear these stories of how you became, and it's often out of the blue. Nobody's expecting it. Nobody was anticipating it. Uh, Some actually came out and said, you know, this was the last job I wanted. And uh, you get chosen. And uh, uh, it's usually uh, from wisdom that we don't have, that we get chosen to do things that maybe we would have never done ourselves. So, um, but funny story about that. Uh, I was last year. I took the leadership course with Brian Zier and uh, Randy Harry was in there, and I didn't really because like, again, you know, I was just kind of out of the loop of what was going on in the conference. But he was uh, chosen for as the for district superintendency, and so we were in the Brian Zier leadership and. Uh, Brian asked us a question about you know our goals for uh, what we're going to do in the ministry, and Randy said, "Well, mine's going to look a little different now." And I looked at him and I said, "Where are you going?" And he said, "On the cabinet." I said, "Oh, I feel sorry for you." <laughs> <laughs> and we kind yeah. of laughed. So after when I went to the first meeting, Randy looked at me and said, "Pay back." <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. So we had a laugh over that. Yeah, so you're going to be staying in the same district that you're in now, the Catawba Valley District. So um, what kind of challenges do you see, um, having been in that district a few years and you know uh, what you've been seeing there? What what are some challenges in front of you? Well, that's a very good question Um, and also a difficult question to Mm. to try to answer, only because I think think the greatest challenge is, not knowing what the challenge will be until it happens. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the good things that I see is having been here and have gotten to know a lot of the people within the area. So that part I see is a good thing, but um, and that probably could be a challenge too because having known a lot of people in the area, they know me as uh, the local pastor. So now as a district superintendent, how would that um, be played out? So, right. but. But as I said, I think the greatest challenge is um, not knowing yet and then when it happens. Uh, it's kind of like one of the churches I serve, Central. Um, if I knew at the time that once I, after my second year there, somebody was going to set our church on fire <laughs> and having to do that, uh, who would have known? But the way I've been able to handle challenges when they did come up that were unexpected was, um, I think I could say three things. Uh, first of all, uh, faith, prayer, and mm-hmm. community. Okay. Uh, being a part of a community that we get through it together. All right. And, you know, after all, you are getting certified in uh, uh, critical stress uh, situations. And <laughs> yes. You are ready. 
I hope. Well, we're coming down toward <laughs> the end of the show, and I try and give all my guests the last word. I don't know what you want to do with the last word. Some uh, mm-hmm. preach a sermon and some tell a story. But what, what's your last word for uh, this show today? I think my last word would be, um, and you mentioned something at the beginning, uh we are in a season where our general conference have, have started. And mm-hmm. I was a delegate in 2008. I was a delegate in 2012. So I definitely know what takes place <laughs> at general conference. And the last last word that I would like to see, and, and as a denomination, um, even among clergy, you know, we think of things that how we – I have a, a saying that I like to say, how we think and behave may divide us. Mm. But I hope that we remember who we believe in is what unites us. And and to focus more on that uniting than the division. And because one of the greatest a member came into my office last week and she said, Pastor, she said, Who's the hardest working in the church? And I thought she was asking who in our particular church and I said, Well, Miss Jewel, I know you work very hard and she said, No. The hardest working in the church is Satan, <laughs> mm. and I'm like, whoa, you are right, and and if you know, and one of the greatest weapons he used is division. And think about it: if he can keep us divided and fragmented, he keeps us weak. No doubt. But if we come up under the umbrella of unity in Christ, there is no weapon on the face of this earth that can stop the body of Christ. So so I think that would be my last word, to, to just remember to unite. Um, all of us have gifts. All of us have a call and purpose in our life. And if we can know who we are and whose we are, I think it would tear down the walls of that division, that um, that jealousy and covetousness that we fall prey to. Um, and just remember that we're we're on the same team. We're not fighting each other. We're on the same team. So that has been my prayer as we start this week of general conference, but it's also my prayer as we go throughout um, just our whole entire denomination um, to be united. That's a great word. No doubt about it. We are United Methodist after all. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for giving your time today and blessings to you during this time of transition and moving and all of that. And thanks, everyone, for listening to us on Blog Talk Radio. The show will be available as a podcast and on our Blog Talk page. And you can go to the show's website and find it at umconnect.info. And we'll be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect.